This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. And now we'll do our scripture reading. Um, So for those who are able, if you could go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. And our scripture reading will be from Isaiah 21. The oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea, as whirlwinds in the Negev sweep on, it comes from the wilderness from a terrible land. A stern vision is told to me. The traitor betrays and the destroyer destroys. Go up, O Elam, lay siege, O Media. All the sighing she has caused I will bring to an end. Therefore my loins are filled with anguish. Pangs have seized me like the pangs of a woman in labor. I am bowed down so that I cannot hear. I am dismayed so that I cannot see. My heart staggers. Horror has appalled me. The twilight I long for has been turned for me into trembling. They prepare the table, they spread the rugs, they eat, they drink. Arise, O princes, oil the shield. For thus the Lord said to me, Go set a watchman, let him announce what he sees. When he sees riders, horsemen in pairs, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, let him listen diligently, very diligently. Then he who cried out, Upon a watchtower I stand, O Lord, continually by day, and at my post I am stationed whole nights. And behold, here come riders, horsemen in pairs. And he answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images of her gods. He is shattered to the ground. O my threshold and winnowed one, what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I announce to you. The oracle concerning Duma. One is calling to me from Seir, Watchman, what time of the night? Watchman, what time of the night? The watchman says, Morning comes, and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire, come back again. The oracle concerning Arabia. In the thickets in Arabia, you will lodge, O caravans of Dedanites. To the thirsty, bring water. Meet the fugitive with bread, O inhabitants in the land of Tima. For they have fled from the swords, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow, and from the press of battle. For thus the Lord said to me, within a year, According to the years of a hired worker, all the glory of Kedar will come to an end, and the remainder of the archers of the mighty men of the swords of Kedar will be few, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I feel like we had a really chatty time this morning, so... Don't shake your head at me. I, 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 uh, I think I like GC more because there's like interaction. So I think when I come up to preach, I like want that a little bit. Um, and that's kind of why I, I start with comments like that. Just makes me feel better. Gives me like a little more peace while I'm up here. Um, we're going to be in uh, Isaiah chapter 21. We have another judgment on Babylon. So if you thought one was not sufficient uh, a few weeks ago, we have a whole other chapter on uh, a judgment on the, uh, the city of Babylon and on the, on the nation that's sort of surrounding that. And we're sort of kind of in this series, we've been talking about uh, judgments and we've been talking about uh, God's presence and trying to really lean into what it means to... Uh, to enjoy the, the presence and the wonder and the, and the beauty of our creator through the gospel. Uh, and, and, I, and we're taking this word, 
we're taking this word judgment and the, the definition of what the word judgment means and saying, how does, the, how does the judgments of God actually help us enjoy the presence of God? So that's why our, our series is called um, His Presence and His Judgments, because that's kind of where we're going. And Ben brought this up last time, but the, in order to sort of understand that, we have, we have to remember that when we say judgment, there's an element of wrath in that. Uh, for, sh- for sure, when God makes a judgment on something uh, that is wrong, God pours out his wrath, and there's sort of an element of that. But the primary definition of the word judgment is the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. The ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. And so when we talk about judgments, we're talking about making a sensible conclusion on things around us, whether it's ourself, whether it's the wor- world, whether it's God, whatever it is, we, we make judgments all the time, or it's a, just a, a considered decision. So, so in our series, we're saying God has given us these considered decisions. God has revealed to us his statement on things in the world so that we would trust him more and so that we would enjoy his presence more. So as we, as we, as we think through his considered decisions, at the end of the day, we want to trust him more and just enjoy the beauty and the wonder and the glory and the peace that comes from the presence of God. And that's something that we, we prayed about this morning. We do our prayer at 945. We're going through uh, uh, sort of a song that's, that's in Isaiah, and eventually we'll get to that in the series. But it says, that the one whose mind is fixed on you is in perfect peace. And so as we, as we enjoy his presence, that's what we want. We want peace. We want joy that's lasting. We want fulfillment. Uh, we, we, we just want to enjoy who God is. And that's what the, the beauty of the Gospels is, is because of what Jesus has done. It enables us to go to the Father. It enables us to, to be his sons and daughters and enjoy his presence. So that's kind of the aim of the series. And, and we, we are kind of on our second judgment on Babylon and I think in order to sort of understand, okay, well, how does God's statement on Babylon, how does God's considered decision on Babylon help me enjoy his presence more? And, and last time we talked about Babylon, I, I defined Babylon as something that basically anything that gets in the way of enjoying God's presence. And I thought that was a little abstract. Um, and I, maybe that came through conversations in GCs, but just kind of thinking about that afterwards, I said Babylon is something that, that gets in the way of enjoying God's presence. And I felt like that was a, a sort of a hard definition to maybe uh, cling to and sort of functionally use throughout the week. So I thought about it a little more, and a lot of times in Scripture, it'll, things are defined against something else. Uh, an example in the, in the Gospel of John there's the light and there's the darkness. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Jesus says that you should be a light set on a hill. We don't, we don't hide that. Uh, says that the, the darkness will not overcome me. So a good way to understand the light and the darkness is to understand both, and that kind of gives you an idea of what he means by light and what he means by darkness. Uh, another one that comes up with Paul that I thought was helpful is he talks about the spirit and the flesh. So what does the flesh mean, you know? Um, is it everything that's physical? Well, not exactly. Is the spirit everything that's not physical? But no, not exactly. Things, are, things that come from the spirit, from the Holy Spirit, like love, joy, peace. Physical things that come from the spirit, like Jesus' resurrected body. It's called a spirit, 
a spiritual body. And in the flesh is, is uh, anger, malice, deceit, things of the world that are sort of fading away. So sort of defining the Bible often will give us two kind of almost difficult things to understand by themselves, but when they're put up against something else, then it helps us say, oh, okay, that makes sense. So I thought a good way to define Babylon was to define it against the, the other thing in the book of Isaiah. Because in Isaiah, you have two major cities that are really important to understand sort of the flow of the prophecies in Babylon. And you're probably already thinking about what that other, that other city is. Jerusalem. So you have Jerusalem and you have Babylon. And we've talked about Jerusalem a handful of times. And I think understanding what Jerusalem is then sort of helps us understand why God would have a judgment on Babylon. Why God would have to give us a considered decision on Babylon, because at the end of the day, he's trying to draw us in, and he's trying to bring us closer to Jerusalem. And these are just two themes that show up in the book of Isaiah, and maybe help us sort of understand what's going on in this particular chapter. So a good definition for Jerusalem is the people of God imaging God in the presence of God. Pretty straightforward. It's God's people reflecting God's image to each other and to the world as they enjoy the very presence of God. Yes, and, and I thought, uh, what's a, maybe a tangible way to, to say this? Like this right here. Isaiah would say, this is Jerusalem. We had people this morning imaging God to one another. We have volunteers with the babies right now giving of their time and their energy so that you and, and the parents could could sit and, and focus on the sermon and not the snack or whatever it is that uh, the, ch- the kid wants, as cute as they are. Uh, we have people that showed up early to, to practice and to, to, to help lead us in worship, and they showed up on Thursday. They're imaging God to you. They're, they're off- offering of themselves to others. And, and I hope that when we, when we image God to each other, when we, when we show the, you know, uh, the inward love that we value so much to one another, that we do that because we enjoy the very presence of God. We, we, don't, we don't need any, you don't need Christianity to be nice to somebody else, but we give of ourselves, we show love to others because ultimately we wanna find our joy and our, our peace as we worship God, as we experience God himself. And so this is a really good example of Jerusalem. Here we are serving one another, valuing this love that we show to one another, and, and, and worshiping God and being in the presence of God and enjoying God himself. And I think if you've been at Emmaus long enough, you know that we don't want it to stop here. We don't want Jerusalem to just be an element of worship on Sunday in the morning. We want it to overflow into the rest of the world. We, we want you to show outward love. We want the, the presence of God and the joy that you feel from, from who God is to show up in how you serve people at work. We want the the presence of God and the, and the joy that you feel from the gospel to show up in, in how you interact with people at a coffee shop. We want, we want all of those things. We want Jerusalem in a sense. We could say our vision is to see Denver look like Jerusalem. We want, we want everyone to image God. We want everyone to image God into, into you know, it's an intense, that's, that's part of, uh, we want everyone to, to image God all over Denver. We, we want Jerusalem to spread all over Denver. And so when we, then when we think about Babylon, we say, okay, well, what is Babylon? Well, Babylon is, is actually everything in the world that pulls us away from Jerusalem. Babylon is everything in the world that pulls us away from the people of God. 
that pulls us away from imaging God, being selfish and for ourselves and not for other people, that pulls us away from the very presence of God. Babylon is everything that keeps us from being Jerusalem. And so now in this passage, God is saying, you know what? There are things in this world that are, that are epitomized in the city Babylon, this, this city that pulls God's people away from imaging God and enjoying the presence of God. And, and I want to give you a statement. I want to give you a considered decision on all these things that pull you away from me. And I, I think about what, what pulls us away, or if I were to like say, well, what is Babylon? And it, it, you know, maybe the first kind of crazy thought is in China, you can't do this publicly. Uh, if you have a, a, a form of orthodoxy in Christianity, you're at someone's house on the down low. Like in, in a real sense, the people of the CCP, the people of the, the government there are enemies, are Babylon. And they're, they're enemies of the people of God. And I think that's kind of like the extreme. We can kind of go there and we can all think of like these crazy examples, things on YouTube. But Babylon is often much simpler than that. Babylon in the Bible is described as the kingdom that's a head of gold, that's beautiful, that's attractive. When, when John sees Babylon in Revelation, he's amazed. And the angel's like, whoa, don't be amazed at that. That's actually, that's actually destined for destruction. And Babylon is often really attractive things. Babylon can be something as simple as a, as a meal that God has given us to remind us of his sustenance and his providing for us can turn into something that we worship and we go to for our joy and our peace that's, that's not the Lord himself. So Babylon can sort of show up, and yes, these sort of extreme examples, but a lot of times Babylon is just something that's really attractive, that's kind of spinning in our mind, that's something that we plan our life around, that pulls us away from imaging God, that pulls us away from enjoying the presence of God, that pulls us away from being the people of God. So here in Isaiah, we have this, this image. We have Babylon and we have Jerusalem. And here we have a whole chapter where God is saying, you know what? I'm gonna give you my considered decision on Babylon. I want you to view the things around you. I want you to view Babylon appropriately so at the end of the day, you could enjoy more of the peace, more of the joy, more of the eternal satisfaction that's found in the very presence of God. So that's why we're, that's why we're looking at a whole chapter <laughs> Um, on Babylon again, because it's, it's helping us see the world for what it is. It's helping us see the things that pull us away from God so that we could enjoy him more, so we could have more peace. So let's pray and ask the Lord for wisdom and honestly just help through his spirit so we can consider these things well and enjoy more of him. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for all the ways that you work in our lives. I thank you um, that you have given us a supernatural indwelling of your spirit, that God himself dwells in us to open our eyes and open our minds and to encourage us with these words. This is a, uh, a passage that's just far from our normal way of thinking, and, and yet we're, we're given your spirit so that our eyes could be opened so that we could see the beauty of your gospel and we could see Babylon for what it is, Lord. So help us wrestle with this. Um, Give me clarity of mind, and um, Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit would just open our eyes to see um, what you would have for us in this passage this morning. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so we're going to a handful of different places, and I think I have an outline of, of some of the things on here. So um, 
we're looking at Babylon versus Jerusalem, and we're going to kind of hit some of these points uh, fairly quickly, but we're going to look at the short of it. We're going to look at the pain of it, the ignorance of it, the certainty of it, and the results of it. And I, when I told Bridget what my outline was, the first thing she said is, what is it? <laughs> I was like, oh, I should be able to have an answer for that. Um, <laughs> otherwise, it's just hard to follow. We're talking about the destruction of Babylon. It is the destruction of Babylon. It is God destroying everything that would keep us away from imaging God, from being the people of God, and ultimately from enjoying the presence of God. So we're gonna, so we're gonna talk, talk about that as we go through this morning. So look at, let's just start in chapter one. He says, the or, or start verse one. It says, the oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea. The oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea. And when we say oracle, um, another, a commentator said another uh, way to kind of maybe say oracle is a, is a divine uh, declaration. Like God is giving us his, his position on, on what he's about to talk to us about. So we get this oracle concerning the, the wilderness of the sea. And it's the only time this title is actually used in all of scripture. So when you, when you have the wilderness of the sea, it's, it's sort of hard to, to figure out what he's going on there. But but if you think about just themes in Scripture, a wilderness is somewhere that's barren. There's somewhere where there really isn't a whole lot to offer there. And, and the sea is a little more complicated, but, but often in Scripture, the sea is kind of a dark place. The sea is sort of where, where, where evil, uh, in a sense, is from. And, and that's why there's an image, even of Revelation, of a beast coming out of the sea. Uh, and, I, and I think about if I was a, you know, and I, if I hop on a plane and I, you know, fly somewhere, but like if you're on a boat, back in the day with like no electricity or GPS and you're just like in the dark in a storm in the sea, I could understand why you'd be like, that's kind of a dark place, you know? That's like not a good place to be. So, so he's got this idea of this, the wilderness of the sea, and, and he, he, he keeps going on this idea of wilderness. He says, as whirlwinds in the Negev sweep on, it comes from the wilderness, from a terrible land. And it's this image, the Negev is like this, uh, an, another desert place, and it's sort of this image of, of, of sandstorms sort of like sweeping through in this really sort of, sort of fast, um, intense, in a, in, a, in a barren land kind of place. And what he's, it seems like what he's describing is the vision itself. Like Isaiah's like, this vision is intense. This vision sort of sweeps in like a storm would sweep in in the Negev, and he and he, that's kind of how he proceeds. He goes on in verse two. He says, a stern vision is told to me. A stern vision. And we've had, I feel like as we've walked through Isaiah, we've had some pretty rough visions. You know, like of, of all the visions, it's interesting that here Isaiah is saying, a stern vision is told to me. And we get sort of the short of it. We get a, a summary of what's gonna happen, everything that sort of happens in verse two. He, so it's this stern vision it says, the traitor betrays and the destroyer destroys. And what's interesting is in the original language, it's like the traitor noun does the verb traitor things. The traitor traitors, something like that. The, the, the destroyer does the destroying. And it's, it's sort of back to back and it's, it's set up to be very intense. So he's, he's saying this stern vision is, is told to me. And, and I talk about the traitor and the destroyer and it's like, they're, they're, they're betraying, they're destroying. It's like, it's meant to be boom, boom. And so the very next response is, go up, O Elam, lay siege, O media. He's talking about the Persian army and he's talking about Babylon. He's saying the destruction they're causing, the, 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 betre, the tre, treacherous nature of this, this kingdom that I see in this vision, I can't help but say, go, 
go Persia, go, go destroy this. Go up and, 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 and bring wrath on this, this tra- just treacherous nation or this, this, this nation that brings destroying. And he, he says, all, and it switches right here in an interesting way. It says, all the sighing she has caused, Babylon has caused, all the, the trauma, all the things that have been caused by this evil nation, it says, I bring to an end. I bring to an end. So right there, we get this sort of dramatic introduction to this vision. This is a vision that is stern. As soon as Isaiah thinks about the traitor and the destroyer, he can't help but say, go. Go, go take this out. Go, let Babylon be destroyed. And then God says, I bring to an end. I bring to an end. And, and, and the short of it, the short of it is everything in this world, everything in this world that actually pulls us away from imaging God, everything in this world that, that keeps God's people from being God's people, that keeps God's people from enjoying his presence, God will bring to an end. The short of it is that those things will end. And I think that's just like not a, a topic we like to talk about. Um, and I mean, even as he says, this is a stern vision and we're gonna see it and it's sort of painful for him. But it, but it is a reality in scripture that we have to wrestle with. I have a, a couple of verses where it just sort of this comes up. I think the first one might be First John. Oh, we'll go with Corinthians. It says that the present form of this world is passing away. The present form of this world is passing away. The short of it is God is gonna bring these things to an end. The next verse I just have from First John, here we go. It says, the world is passing away along with its desires. That's the short of it. God is determined to destroy Babylon. God is determined to, to have these things pass away that, that pull us away from enjoying his presence, that pull us away from imaging him as we were created to be. And then another one in 2 Peter just as the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction. And that's intense. And I think that kind of adds a little flavor to why Isaiah is just, man, this, this is a stern vision. We've had some visions about things that happened to other nations, but, but when Isaiah gets an image of Babylon, the, 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 everything that goes against Jerusalem, everything that goes against the, the people of God, this is, this is a painful thing for him to consider. So the short of it is that, that God is actually going to destroy these things. These things are gonna pass away, but there's also a lot of pain there. And I think that's appropriate. And I think that's why we also, you know, this isn't like the topic of conversation at most dinner parties is, is how all these things are passing away. Because it should be a painful thing. It's not meant to be a, a flippant theological fact that we know. This is, we should, we should see these things that, that are going to be destroyed and it should pain us. And that's what happens with Isaiah. Look at what he says in verse three. He sees this vision and he goes, therefore my loins are filled with anguish. Like everything inside of me just hurts. Pains that have seized me, like the pains of a woman in labor. They're just I get a glimpse of this vision of the fact that God is going to destroy Babylon and I'm, I'm just gripped with pain. It just comes upon me and cripples me. 
I bow down so that I cannot hear. I am dismayed so that I cannot see. The, the, the pain of this vision is, is affecting his ability to, to see and hear correctly because it's so difficult. My heart staggers. Horror has appalled me. Horror has appalled me. And I think of these two verses, I'm just like, how many other words could Isaiah even use to communicate just the like painful nature of what he sees in this vision? It's like, this is terrifying. This is painful. This isn't something I even want to get a glimpse of. And he says, the twilight I longed for has been turned for me into trembling. The twilight I longed for. And a lot, it's often in scripture that visions show up in the night. And so Isaiah could be very well saying, the evening where things are cool and I can enjoy dinner, I'm terrified. I'm trembling. I'm worried that the Lord is gonna show me more of the judgment that's coming on Babylon. He sees the pain of it. And it's real. He sees the pain of it and he's like, don't show me any more of that. And I think that's why we don't like to talk about these things a lot. I think that's why this isn't a, appropriately, isn't, a, isn't a, 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 an element of the gospel of what God is doing in the world that, that is what, what we would lead with necessarily. But it's, I think the danger, the other danger, is to sort of live in the ignorance of it. The other danger is to, is, to, is to pretend like these things aren't going to happen. The other danger is to consider what's going on and think of them as the, as the, as the lasting eternal things. And so that's what, even in his vision, Isaiah sees a group that's sort of just sitting in the ignorance of this. He's seeing a vision of it, and the next thing he says is they prepare the table, they spread the rugs, they eat, they drink. He has a, he has a vision of the, of the destruction of Babylon, and he, in his vision, he sees people who are just completely ignorant of what's going on, and it's hard not to think of uh, the eating and drinking for tomorrow we die, or, or Peter talking about how they went on marrying and giving in marriage like nothing was gonna happen. And he sees this vision, he sees this like terrifying thing. And he sees them eating and drinking. And it's interesting, these are the enemies of God at the time. I mean, these are, Babylon isn't like his friendly neighbor. He sees them eating and drinking in the vision and he sees what's gonna happen and he says, he cries out. He says, arise, O princes, oil the shields. He's like, look, don't you know what's coming? If you, why, why are you sitting here Eating and drinking, you should be ready. You should be prepared. He, he knows for certain that God is going to judge Babylon and in the vision because of the things that he sees, because of the pain of what's about to happen. He can't help but say, get up. Don't be ignorant of this. He, he has compassion for even the people that he sees in his vision. And it reminds me of one of my favorite Psalms. Uh, a psalm from Moses. It's the only psalm that we have from Moses. Um, psalm 90. Moses is kind of saying the same thing here. 
doesn't want us to be, he doesn't want us to be ignorant of what the Lord is going to do. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of the judgment that's coming on Babylon or the, the fading nature of this world. So he, in Psalm 90, he's, verse 9, Moses says, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. That's got to be like the most depressing line in the psalm. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Moses is like, who thinks about the destruction of Babylon? Who thinks about the fact that the things of this world are passing away? But he goes on to say, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. As much as I'd like to preach the rest of that psalm, he spends a handful of verses saying, Lord, help us enjoy your presence. Help us find our hope and our peace in the promises that you've given us that will never change. Help us see your glory as more glorious than all these days that waste away like a sigh. Like Moses, this is Moses. Moses literally saw God and he writes a psalm about the fading nature of the world and is like, Lord, please, please help me see more of your glory. Please make the things I do worth something because I do them in your presence as I image you to the world. And Moses is saying, we get this wisdom when we don't sit in the ignorance of the fact that God is bringing judgment on Babylon. And I think that's where, back in Isaiah in verse five, he's saying, arise, O princes, oil the shield. Even, even in this vision, he's like, get some wisdom. Like there's a chance if you were just consider these things. And I think he goes, I think he's, compassionately reaching out to the people in the vision, but this is a, this oracle, this, this prophecy that we're studying is for us. It's for us to consider these things. It's for us to, to get wisdom, like Moses would say. It's for us to, 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 not, to not sit in the ignorance of that. And I think it's, it's good for us to say, well, what, if I'm to consider these things, where am I eating and drinking in Babylon? Where, where do I need to, to, to rise up and prepare myself. Think about Paul saying, taking on the armor of God. There's a sense where there, how many things in your life are pulling you away from God's presence? How many things in your life are keeping you from imaging God and others around you? How many things in the world are keeping the people of God from gathering and worshiping God? So where are we eating and drinking in Babylon? What's keeping us from that? And I think what occupies our thoughts? What's the, what's the thing we get fixated on and, and consider and dwell on and, and, and try to solve in our head that pulls us away from enjoying the glory and the beauty of the gospel? What, what's what's the, the thing that we're planning, that we want, Maybe the person in our life, how many, maybe it's our job. Some jobs are just difficult. Like it's, it's hard. You gotta just focus. You gotta be working a ton. 
those things pull us away from the Lord. How do we take moments to just plead with him like Moses? Say, Lord, I'm caught up in Babylon right now. I want your presence to be my comfort. I want your words to be the things that I cling to that I love. How often do we just plead with him to do that? I think this is difficult because there is just some weight to the idea that God will destroy Babylon and that the, the present form of this world is passing away. But, it, but Isaiah goes on to sort of remind us of the certainty of these things. It's like, this is a hard topic. Isaiah himself doesn't even want this vision. But he wants to remind us of the certainty of this, and we get an image of that and the idea of a, a watchman. Um, it's hard not to think of that one movie and the guy that like kind of glows, <laughs> but that's not what he's talking about. Um, a watchman is just someone you would put on a tower and say, okay, in shifts, you would, just, you would stand in the tower and your job is just to stare off into the distance for forever uh, and listen and be careful. And, and if, if someone, a message is coming or uh, an army is coming, you need to be the first person to, to let us know. Um, we don't have ring doorbells, so we put watchmen up there to sort of like figure out who's coming. And so he gives us this image of a watchman to remind us of the the certainty of it. In verse six, he says, for thus said the Lord to me, go, set a watchman, let him announce what he sees. When he sees riders, horsemen in pairs, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, let him listen diligently, very diligently. Just to, I, let's just, let's just, but God's like, let's, let's use the illustration of a watchman. Go, set a watchman and, and tell him to pay a ton of attention for what's gonna come. And then we get the watchman speaks to us. And it's interesting what the watchman says. Then he who saw the watchman cried out, upon a watchtower I stand, O Lord, continually by day, and at my post I am stationed whole nights, day and night. It's like, but it's interesting because the watchman is saying, look, before you even ask me what I saw, I just want you to know I've been here day and night. There are no shifts for me. I am paying super close attention. I, the whole time I've been listening very carefully, I've been watching. I haven't missed a single thing. Uh, the, the thing I'm about to tell you, I'm just gonna preface that with the fact that I've been paying all sorts of attention. And the thing that I'm about to tell you is certain. And look at what he says. Verse nine, he says, and behold, here comes riders, horsemen in pairs. It's, it, it, it's kind of, it's sort of like this image of a, a message has, has come and, or there, there, there's something we now know. And he, re, and he tells us and he answers, he says, fallen, fallen is Babylon and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. He's like, I want you to be certain. I want you to know that, I, I, I'm, let's, we put a watchman up there. They, they have day and night, they have been fixing their eyes on what's gonna happen. He says, you know what? The certainty of it is that Babylon has fallen. He can say that. He can say all the things in the world that often just obsess our thoughts, that, that actively go against the Lord, that, that pull us away from imaging God. Everything in the world, everything that is Babylon that keeps us from Jerusalem is destined for destruction. So much so that this watchman can say, fallen is Babylon. That's the certainty of it. So he goes on to tell us the results of it. And it's, it's, a, 
It's another image that's a little bit hard to follow at first. He goes, oh, my threshed and winnowed one. What I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I announce to you. My threshed and my winnowed ones. And he's, he's bringing up this imagery of grain. And, and I, I'm not a farmer. I've never threshed out grain, but I hear it's pretty violent. I don't know. Um, that's how it was described to me. I'm like, if Sarah was still here, I'd be like, Sarah, is this how it works out? Um, but but it's, this, it's this image of, of sort of beating out the grain. It, that, that, that's how you get life. That's how you get the food. That's how you get the, the grain that eventually makes the bread. And it's a pretty common image in scriptures to talk about God's people as, as wheat. Jesus picks up on this, uh, even in the gospels when he talks about the wheat and the tares. And they're, they're threshed. They're sort of going through the struggles in this world. But at the end of the day, they produce grain. Those are sort of the results of it. And he, go, he goes on to kind of give us another image of the results of these things. He says, the oracle concerning Duma, it's sort of a, a play on the, the nation Edom, which is another, it's a play on words. I just switched a letter around to get that in the original language. But it's a, another enemy of Israel. So the one calling to me to the watchman from Seir, watchman, what time of the night? Watchman, what time of the night? I mean, it's a, it's another kind of awkward translation, but he's basically just saying like, it's just like call, like watchman, how much more night? Like how much more night? This is difficult. How much more night? And the watchman responds to the, to the enemy of God's people, kind of dismissive and says, the watchman says, morning comes and also the night. If you will inquire, come back again. He kind of blows them off. And it's almost like Edom at this time, the nation of Edom is sort of being rejected by this watchman. But he gives us the results of it right there. He's saying, man, there's so much painful, just considering the wrath of God on Babylon, just considering what, what Peter says when the, the world is being stored up for fire on the day of destruction. Isaiah getting a glimpse of that causes him to like shriek in pain and struggle and, and it's like the Edom is saying, how much more of this? How much more of this night is there to be? And he kind of shoes them off and says, you know what? The result of this night is more night for some and dawn for others. The result of this night is more light, more darkness for some, and, and, and finally the dawn and finally the light for others. And we think about that and it, it should make us a little uncomfortable. As we, as we think about God's wrath that's gonna be poured out, as we think about what's being stored for fire and it's gonna be destroyed, and, and I think about what, in my life, what's Babylon, what distracts me from the presence of the Lord, what, what distracts me from imaging God to others. Even this morning, I was more obsessed with my schedule than like considering my wife. I struggled with Babylon this morning. I'm, I'm eating and drinking in the city when God's like, this is what is gonna be destroyed. And it's, it's, we, we see this and we say, well, there's more, more night for some when, when this is over, but then there's, there's dawn for others, there's light, there's joy, there's peace. And I think one thing that we, we can consider that Isaiah can't as we sort of wrestle with the results of this, Isaiah can only look forward at the judgment of God. Think about this. Isaiah can only look forward 
at the full wrath of God, even the tiny little glimpse of it, and say, ooh, I don't want that vision. But, but we can do something that he can't. We can actually look back. We can look back and see the full power and wrath of God being poured out. We can look back and see where Jerusalem was destroyed. We can look back and see God pouring out his wrath on Christ on the cross. We should look back at that and shiver. We should look back at where God has poured out his wrath on Christ and say, oof, that disturbs me. But it gives us a picture. It gives us a picture of, of, of God's determination to destroy Babylon so much so that he was willing to do that on his own son. So much so that he was willing to do that so you and I could actually be the people of God. So much so that we could wrestle with the disturbing images of the, of the final day of wrath and the pictured as the judgment of Babylon. And we don't have to sit in the ignorance of it because unlike Isaiah, we can look back and say that wrath has already been poured out on Christ. And I thought, this isn't on the screen, but I... I thought of Zechariah um, this morning, and there's a really good passage in Zechariah. Again, another you know book of the Bible that we struggle to find and probably don't read a whole lot often. But in Zechariah 11, so if you want to turn there, you can. Or Zechariah 12, he kind of brings us up. He kind of brings up the uh, this this grief, this pain, this sense that we have when we when Isaiah looks forward and sees the wrath of God. He is. He's not, he's not comfortable with that. And Zechariah brings up a day when we will look back and see what happens and sort of gives us the results of this. In verse 10, Zechariah 12, verse 10 says, and I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Here, Zechariah is saying, when you look back on the full wrath of God that was poured out on your Savior, who was pierced for your sin, for the fact that you eat and drink on, in Babylon, for the fact that we struggle with that today, when you look back on what happened to Christ because of your sin like Isaiah is looking forward, that should a little bit make you uncomfortable. We should say that was the, that's the, that's the, what Christ had to bear on the cross was despicable. What Christ did and, and, and took of the wrath of God on my behalf should, should make me uncomfortable. But he gives us the result of what Jesus has done in, in chapter 13, verse one, right after that section, he says, but on that day, when we can look back and we can mourn what happened to Jesus on the cross, on that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of God who image God in the presence of God. And what does that fountain do? To cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Because of the wrath of God that we can look back and see on Christ, now there is a fountain that cleans you and I from our sins. That's wonderful. And as we, as we dwell on, as we consider God's judgment on Babylon, on the, the things of this world that are gonna fade away, and we, like Isaiah, we can, 
we can kind of be uncomfortable with that. But if we ignore that, if we live in the ignorance of it, we don't really appreciate what Christ went through for us. We don't really appreciate the weight of the wrath of God that came onto Christ that was meant to open up a fountain so that you could be forgiven from your sins. The, the despicable things that happened to our Savior, the wrath of God that was poured out so you and I can stand here and say, that's a beautiful gospel. And if we don't, if we, if we consider these things, if we consider the, the wrath that's so scary that is legitimately terrifying for Isaiah, and in a sense should be for us, it should make us more and more appreciate the beauty of what our Savior has done. And as we see his beauty, as we understand why it's not about me eating and drinking in Babylon, it's about what Jesus has done, it's about the fact that I have actually passed through this terrifying wrath in my union with Christ, that's what gives me the confidence to say, Lord, I want your presence. I want you as my heavenly father to be the thing that draws me, that brings me closer to you so that I don't love Babylon so much, so that I consider you more, so that I image you more, so I bring you more glory. And as we consider his judgment, his, his reasoned conclusion about the things of the world, it should make us love our savior more and long to be in the presence of our heavenly father. And that's what I pray for, for myself this morning, for you guys. I want the, the beauty of the gospel and the, this judgment on Babylon is something that draws us closer to the Lord. And thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift, even wrath and judgment that can draw us into the beauty of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are so patient with us. Lord, give us wisdom to consider that the things of this world are gonna pass away. To, to not be afraid of what you have said about the enemy of Jerusalem, about Babylon, Lord. I pray that um, at the same time, it would sober us. This would be something that, that legitimately terrifies us and, and doesn't just leave us in fear, Lord, but but draws us closer to your son and what he's accomplished. We need your spirit every step of the way to, to trust your judgments in these things, Lord, so that we could love your son and, and we could be drawn more to your love for us. You take this so seriously. You were, you were willing to sacrifice your son and pour out your wrath on him. So I thank you for this morning and I thank you for the chance to, to worship you, Lord. I thank you for the chance to even sing. Uh, as we sing, Jesus is better, Help us believe that. Help us believe that Jesus is better than everything in this world. Help us believe that every little piece of Babylon that clings with us is not as wonderful and as beautiful as your Savior. So I thank you for the opportunity to just praise your name and worship you and, uh, and sing those things to you. In your name I pray, amen.